Greetings programs, you're about to listen to an all new Geek in the City Radio, which comes to you this week from the fine folks at the Great Oregon Wine Company as they celebrate Oregon Wine Month. That's right, we've gone all classy, sipping and tasting some great wines made right here in Oregon, like this, <sighs> Pinot Gris from La Chouette. Uh, Q. Denise later on sending me a message saying I pronounced it wrong. It's very true. I probably did. I drink wine. I do not pronounce it well. <laughs> anyway, uh, all the wines that take part in um, Oregon Wine Month from the Great Oregon Wine Company are certified organic. So you can enjoy fine wines and know that you're helping the environment at the same time. Find out more at OregonWine.org. And now... Let's get started with an all-new show of Geek in the City Radio. One, two, three, four! It's been a long, long week. Why don't you spend some time with geeks? So many issues today into which we must delve. We're gonna talk about the stuff that makes you scream and shout. Hit the red alert, we're going more Factor 12. Thanks for pressing play. Now we're gonna save the day. Alright! Why, hello, and welcome to issue 598 of Geek in the City Radio. I am one of your hosts, Aaron Duran. I'm one of your other hosts, Beanerita. And I am your other other host, Cable Hashtani. And we have our guest, our back. Hello. Hey. Wait, has it been a month yet? No. No. It has not. no. Time time is meaningless now. I have heard that time is a flat circle, but uh, no, we, we've time got... has been meaningless for a year. That's, That's true. true. It's I've been meaningless for a lot longer than that. <laughs> That's what I heard. <laughs> but it's been a week. It's been. Oh, don't no. I'm no, sorry. don't stop it. Uh, time is a uh, Jeremy Baramy. Yes. Yes. And being that it's Tuesday, it's the little dot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you kids, you lost me on that one. You still haven't really? watched The Good Place? Oh. oh, I have. Why did I not remember that? No. My... Watch it again. Well, my brain. Watch didn't. it harder. I, I only Retain. remember, Retain. like, I, I haven't finished the final season of it, but oh. I, I keep remembering Jeremy Baramy sporadically. Like, I oh. think it, I'm conditioned to only remember it during certain times. Yeah, yeah. now, okay, now it's coming back to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Like everyone else here, it has been uh, an odd few days, I believe, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, we have got a packed show. Uh, uh, Greg and I are going to bore all of you as we nerd out over Ravenloft. Um, Yeah, look at it. It's so pretty. I'll be joining in in enthusiastically going, oh, look at this. Oh, look at this. Did you know this? Oh, there's this thing. Ghost Uh, train. And telling feelings about it more so than like nitty gritty because that's Greg's deal. I'm all about look at this neat thing. This is shiny. Let's go here. Whee! Yeah, that's how I had run games too. <laughs> <laughs> um, plus some Lego stuff. 
and some movie trailer talk and the Bad Batch. And oh man, pack show. Lots going on. Good times. Great. Oh, let's oldies. jump in. Yeah. yeah. What, do you, what do you want to jump into first? I say give the book its due. It is the release day for Von Richten's Talk About It. it. Yeah, here yeah. it is. We both clearly have bought the, uh, the they just call them alt covers cable. Yeah, and this is the, uh, the it's referred to as the hobby store uh, cover, alternative yeah. art cover. It is only available to brick and mortar stores. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, you kind cannot of cool. buy it on Amazon. You, if you're buying it anywhere on the internet, it's because it's being sold by a reseller, and fuck them. Yep. Right. Spirit board. Uh, the last mm-hmm. page has a gorgeous spirit board, which I can't wait to see nerdy folk with 3D printers making spirit boards based off of that. Oh, and yeah, yes. they're going to happen. And the planchette to match. Gorgeous. Yeah. I love the planchette. Also, if you'll, today. if you'll um, notice, I don't know if the planchette says it, the page of the planchette on the front or whatever. Oh, we're just doing this here. Yeah, it doesn't. But if you look at the spirit board page in the back, right up against the spine on the inside, it says Wizards grants permission for you to photocopy this for the game use. Yes. Awesome. That's I think even cool. in the book they say like copy it, print it out, put it on a piece of particle board and mm-hmm. you know permission is granted to photocopy this page for personal use. Yeah. Can I put it uh, on a mug? I want to put it on a mug. If it's your personal mug, yeah. yeah I yeah. think as long as you don't sell it, you can right. have it. Fine. Mm-hmm. It'll be my personal mug. It's like how you're not allowed to like print up copies of fifth edition character sheets and then sell them. Yeah. You can print them all you want. You just then can't like I have I'm selling my D D sheets for for a dollar for well, five. Yeah. And why why would you that's yeah, how'd yeah, you do that? Really. Anyone who would know and know what that is and want it should have equal access to to, to getting their own, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean the character sheets are available on the Wizards of the Coast website for free to download and print. So there was yeah. a time when that was a viable business. That is true. When the only no photocopiers were an office store or your school. Mm-hmm. Okay. Don't okay. forget about work. Yeah. yeah. In my day, we just used grid paper and drew all of our. Oh God, we did. And it was tedious as hell. Mm. <laughs> mm, grid paper, though. I know. Mm, but let's uh, talk about the book. Yes, yeah, you're yeah. right. Sorry, Greg. Thanks for keeping uh, us on task. <laughs> That's a surprise. Yeah. Um, so, so, right like, up the gate. How do we want to do this? Do we want to do like a, a like like a ch- chapter kind of overview, or just our favorite parts? What What do you think? We could do a quick chapter. I don't want to spend like fucking an hour on the book. No, neither do I. Because I mean, you can. I do, but I oh, know I that there's more to talk about in the in the show. So, well, so let's let's start it. with a, a intro introduction slash overview of the book. Which one of you wants to do it? Because you're already like super. Both of you are super ready. So. Decide between the two of you who's going to introduce the book. Well, I'll introduce it. How's that? Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So Von Richten's Guide to Ravenloft brings back the classic Ravenloft setting. Everyone knows, like, started as an adventure module, the most popular module D&D ever did, blah, blah, blah. And in 1992, it became its own setting. That one right there. Um, and it became its most popular and best-selling setting for a few years. But like so many other things at TSR, it flooded the market and it died and bad business decisions. And now Watsi owns D&D. Anyway, um, 
Ravenloft has been one of the settings that I think players have wanted to come back ever since like fifth edition was announced kind of thing. Like it was going to be Forgotten Realms and blah, blah, blah. They did kind of a soft launch with Curse of Strahd, a complete revamping of the original Ravenloft game. And it's fantastic. And that did feel kind of like a test drive to be like, okay, can we pull off the whole domain? The big difference with Ravenloft now is it's no longer, it's still like, you know, the demiplane of dread and it still kind of floats in the middle of nothing as part of the Shadowfell. But it's no longer like this connection of lands of this one continent where the each domain is like somehow fits together to make this one standard looking map. Um, now each domain is basically its own little pocket um, with different themes. Uh, the original Ravenloft game was 100% fantasy and gothic horror. And the writers of the new Ravenloft book have have understood that our horror tastes have changed. So every subtype of horror is explored in these domains in one form or another. You've got, yeah, gothic horror, fantasy horror, but then you've got cosmic horror, cosmic horror, body horror, folk horror. So it, it really plays with all the different types of horror and um, sets up the DM and the players to kind of pick what type of horror game they want to play in. And I, like, that's really its starting point. Yeah. Um, the other big difference of Ravenloft, especially this version, that they, they mentioned, like, in the first few pages, they say, like, your characters are, they are the, quote, the heroes, but they're not, like, your typical D&D hero. Um, no one is pulled into Ravenloft if they have a good soul. Like, that's kind of the point. They're like, your characters are, are good, but none of them are perfect. If they were perfect, they wouldn't be here. And that's kind of the tone of the entire book. Um, so I think the first chapter also deals with like some character creation stuff. Yep. There's a, a, a good introduction and yeah, it begins with character creation. It has some new options for uh, lineages. And um, what I like about that is that they have three options uh, that were available in the um, unearthed arcana a few months back uh the dampir the hexblood and the reborn which is I'm kind really of excited about these yeah yeah so they're very cool the, the the dampir is uh you know a vampire light uh hexblood is hag light and reborn is like undead light but what's cool is you can have options that either let you uh start your character like that but in the course of the adventure if you somehow get into a bargain with a hag and become a hex blood it also tells you what you keep from your old uh your your old uh race um features and what what stays and what goes which is kind of kind of cool yeah and you're think. you're actually given the option if you want if you if you change in one of these lineages, say a few levels in, either driven by story or whatever, it actually gives you the option to basically swap all the lineage traits with your racial traits. Mm-hmm. So say you're playing, say you're playing like a drow, um, who for whatever reason ends up becoming a reborn. The player can decide how much of my drow do I want to keep, or do I want to just 
essentially your lineage becomes your race for lack of a better term. So you'll still look like a drow. Like you'll look like how you will. And you'll probably still think of yourself as a drow, but you are a reborn now. That is what you are. Uh, And reborns can also be constructs. They don't have to be undead, which is pretty damn cool. Yeah. Um, Um, Also in that first chapter, there's uh, some really neat background features there's uh some general backgrounds that that i thought was a cool thing uh like you know general background um so you could just like if you were going for kind of a spooky feel um but you didn't want it specifically tied in with ravenloft or a domain of dread they have options for like oh you can you can take these aspects and still be a sailor but now it's a haunted sailor you can still be a sage, but now it's a, you know, a, a, a sage that's that's seen some shit. Yeah. Um, and now, now, that now, now, instead of just a sage, you're like a a paranormal investigator or whatever. So, like, that was cool. <clears throat> and then they created some of their own original backgrounds that go pretty deep. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff where like you can have like a like a, a past life that literally intrudes while you're playing to potentially positive or negative effects, which is awesome. Um, one of the reborn options, again, it's not, it's not like you're undead, you're a type of a construct, but you wake up missing, like, say like your right arm and your left leg replaced with like the phantom limb of whatever soul was also put in your body. Um, so they've gotten real creative with these lineages and backgrounds and stuff they've given and, and none of them are designed for a character to min max. In fact, Ravenloft is very much designed not to allow that kind of play. It's all to make the better story. This, this setting is so story driven. I'd say more than any of the settings before that's the point of, of Ravenloft. Yeah. And they, they do a really good job talking about like, Hey, here are steps to make horror. And, and here's like, you know, that there's talk in the book about consent with the other players and knowing where those mm-hmm. hard lines are so that everyone is getting scared because they want to be, but still right. having fun and never it's, feeling uncomfortable as a player. It's that same thing like, hey, Bill, you'll rec- I mean, we'll all recognize this. Like when you work a haunted house, there is a there is a level of consent. The attendee is giving by entering that haunted house they wish to experience fear but in this safe manner the mm-hmm. book is written in such a way and it reminds the dm you're here to scare the characters not the players and they really yeah. drive that home they're like if you know a character is or a player is deathly afraid of spiders it's actually not cool to use a lot of spider motifs because you want to make the player afraid you don't want to do that you want the character afraid, and that encourages the player to act it out. Mm-hmm. They really drive that point home over and over again. Yeah. <clears throat> um, the main the main uh, uh, section of the book is is chapter three, the domains of of Ravenloft, um, and it's so good. The maps are beautiful. Yeah. The uh, each each main domain is really cool and like uh they talk about like the nature of the mists and how to use them in creative ways uh because in in this realm uh for those that are unfamiliar the borders of of each of these domains is surrounded by 
mists and there's things in the mists and the the lords of the domain can kind of control if the mists will allow someone to pass through or not and like um and so so each one is kind of encapsulated in in surrounded by these yeah these uh uh, never-ending mists that you get um uh and so so they they go into more detail on on that and how you can use it almost as almost as a as a character in and of itself which is kind of cool oh because inevitably your players are going to be like i've had enough of this let's get out of here there's the edge let's go um and Uh, uh, let's uh just ask please screen share um yeah if greg wants to hold up one of the maps maybe i don't know Um, screen share yeah, so I've got a map of Barovia here. It's kind of hard, yeah. It's yeah. I don't difficult. I don't know um, if Wizards has released any images of the maps themselves yeah. online. Yeah. But while we're showing and telling, uh, the beginning of Chapter 3 has one of my favorite images that I've found so far. Oh, yeah. Victra yeah. more than time. Yeah. yeah you've, you've got, you've got uh, a headless... headless uh, creation and then in the background there are three adventurers heads in in jars and this creation is stitched together and there are these like big bold stitches there's sigils on it or sigils i can never yeah whatever um and like just all of these bits and pieces from clearly different people beings etc um you know the feet are (laughs) purple and fuzzy they you know it's cool somebody, <laughs> some tabaxi got taken apart you know i i read her chat i read the chapter on lamordia and one of the, the one of the dark lords her actual one of her main powers is she can pretty much brain swap anybody she wants with yeah. ah. like just just go um so although in, go ahead oh i was just gonna say uh each one of these domains is super detailed gives a great overview for a DM to like really get the feel of what's happening in this world and how to best like make it a terrifying uh, uh, and interesting uh, Mm -hmm. uh, landscape for the players. Um, But uh, you know, what's what, what I like, and I've, I've heard other people talk about this and do, you know, reviews and stuff. And, and uh, in each of the, each of these, Domains of Dread, there is a singular, or sometimes there's a couple, uh, Dark Lord, that is basically, this is a prison for them, and this is their lament, and this is, but it's kind of this devil's bargain of, like, they are, they have control of this realm in some way, but they are never happy because there's this thing that is unattainable or what have yeah. you. Um, and so it talks about each of these dread lords um, or dark lords. And, uh, you know, there's no, there's no stat blocks for them though. And some people have been like, Oh, I wanted a, a, a stat block. But like, if you have a stat block for a creature, then you can kill it. And these, <laughs> these dark lords are are tied to the land so much that you can't kill them in a way that's meaningful. So right. it's so you know it's okay if it's like well you know use the 
mummy stat, you know, mummy lord stat block for this dread lord and just swap out a couple of these powers versus having like their own little stat block. But like, it's not really necessary because um, you're, you're never going to defeat them permanently. Right. I think it also encourages DMs and players. One of the things that used to hamper Ravenloft back in the day is it was always, let's go face the Dark Lord. Like, that's not the point of it. Also, yeah. you're going to lose almost every single time. <laughs> um, yeah, th- throw yourself against the wall again. See? Yeah. <laughs> uh, they've done a very good job of modernizing uh, almost everything. Um, so Ravenloft, like so many old role-playing games, and really any older media, had a lot of problematic issues with it. And Ravenloft has worked, this book has worked very hard to remove those. Like the original Ravenloft, um, basically their version of uh, Haker, it's their version of Egypt, basically. Mm-hmm. And the, their their mummy, you know, is, is ruled by Octopo. But in the original Ravenloft, it was essentially Karloff with all the British Imperial colonizing threads throughout it. Mm. I mean, look, I love Karloff and I love the mummies. That's, that's not a comment. In this one, they like no. It's still, it's still very much you know inspired by some Egyptian lore and legends. It's still Octopole is the first mummy, but it's not, they've now like removed all the kind of colonial trappings. It's in a weird way the Dark Lords have more agency over the culture that they are trapped within slash oppressing. If that makes sense, <laughs> um, it's, it's theirs to oppress, not yeah, yeah, not yeah. anyone else. Um, not there's, not so many pith helmets. <laughs> yeah, right. There's definitely a more uh, uh, gender balance of the Dark Lords, which I appreciate a lot. I know a lot of old school Ravenloft fans were like, well, how come Victor Mordenheim is now Victor Mordenheim? I'm like, what do you care? Plus, it's yeah. your game. If you want to find a reason why Victor Mordenheim's no longer around and it's this other descendant, go for it. There's yeah. a story to be told there if you really want. Um, something else I... I actually very much appreciate it. Always bugged me about every incarnation of Ravenloft until now. Um, everyone who lives there kind of knows that their life sucks. Yes. Like, there's no longer like, oh, we don't know what lies beyond the mist. Well, everyone who lives in Raven in this domain, like, yeah, they know. Like, fucking death lives there. Wait, oh, you're saying that like in the old Ravenloft, they didn't, they the the local people didn't get that. Yeah, they were always kind of like, they don't understand the darkness they live within. Like, depending on the theme of the domain, oh, they know exactly what they're living in. Yeah, like, you like, know. Barovians all know that that ancient castle is Castle Ravenloft, and it, it you know, belongs to, to Count Strahd von Zerovich, who is yeah. ancient, who is the land. But, yeah, like, every previous version of Ravenloft, it was always written like, oh, the the people of Barovia are superstitious and they just assume that there has always been a Von Zerovich in that castle ruling them and it's their descendants and their stand. In this version, they're like, no, we know he's a fucking vampire lord and there's not a goddamn thing we can do about it. Yeah. We avoid him if we can. Yeah. yeah. And he doesn't, you know what? he doesn't bother to hide who he is anymore. He's like, yes, I am your vampire lord and master. Yeah, and it's like, in, in, that, in that realm specifically, they talk about how he is prevalent that he he can make his image appear in like the clouds overhead just like his face looming down if he chose and you know what he chooses to often so uh 
so so yeah that 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 bit of like whoa you don't know what's happening is is gone it's just like yes it's horrible have some wine uh instead which is <laughs> yeah. kind of nice and and the rare characters or denizens who have traveled to maybe one or two other domains like the domain of uh Falkovnia is just fucking awful now see the original Ravenloft the ruler was basically based on Vlad Tepish like constantly at war with his people always trying to conquer other lands always doomed to fail they've kind of flipped that on his head and now it's uh uh, uh Victra now runs Victra Falkov now runs Falkovnia Still a hyper 100% fascist militaristic state because at every new moon at the beginning of the month, the mists drop and hundreds of thousands of zombies just raid every town. So you are, you, Falkovni exists for one thing, to survive that one night every single month. And they don't care how many of their own people they have to kill to do it. Yeah. Um. I've heard that specific uh, domain. I've, I've heard others be like, you know, you could you could run a pretty pretty good uh, attack on Titan game uh, with that because there's just one giant fortified city left, basically. Um, and so I thought that was yeah. kind of a clever clever way to use I, use some of the material in here. But let's was... talk real quick about yeah. about those mists one more time. Uh, something that they added that I believe is new that I thought was really cool is if you want to get from one realm to another, you now need uh, a a talisman from that place. So you know you you are barred entry by the mists unless you have something from this other place. And right. so now there's like there's vendors and there are a few people that can travel through the mists uh, through various means. Um, uh, one particular person I was excited to see again, uh, Lady Isil, uh, made an appearance in, in this She is book. very different now from how I she, remember her. Yeah, yeah, but she's still really, really cool. And, uh, uh, there's actually a picture also of, uh, Lady Snowmane in the book. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, so now there's kind of a, for, for adventurers and other folks, maybe people that are desperate and like, are like, you know, all my family were eaten by vampires. There's nothing left for me here. There's now kind of a, a market of like, well, we sell in baubles that can get you to a different place. Yeah, it's so, not any better than this place. It's a different terrible though, and maybe right. that's all we need. <laughs> so, like when I was mentioning the domain of uh, Falkovnia, so the mist talismans required that would let you get into Falkovnia. Um, arms marked with the blood falcon. The blood falcon is the crest of Falkovnia. But some of the things are just like a bloody spearhead or correspondence from the city of Lakar, which is a city that's always being assaulted. So someone who sent a letter saying, help me, or just a sample of zombie flesh. Right. You literally use it as a beacon that lets you be drawn to that domain. It's a really cool idea. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of potential in this to run various types of horror games, and I'm super excited mm-hmm. Um, there's um, even a, there's a domain that lets you basically tell environmentalism horror stories. Mm-hmm. The domain of yeah, um, just imagine a domain if a mage was just allowed to do whatever they wanted, experiment however they wanted, not care what it did to the land. Like that's this one domain now. 
Um, you know, like imagine if we let all of like our Elon Musk just do what they want without any kind of environmental control at all. Like what don't, would we be like in 20 years? Don't Sorry, compare I, that ass hat to a mage. Uh, I, I went somewhere else with that. I automatically went to Wizards' other property that they own, Magic the Gathering, and thought of Yagmoth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or not Yagmoth, Phyrexia. Okay. Very much so. Yeah. In fact, if you flip through that book cable, that when they get to that domain, there's this worm that comes out of the ground. It will look a lot like that. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually haven't gone all the way through yet. I ha- I just got to the chapter on building your own domains. And I kind of flipped through the monsters and I just chuckled because I remember monsters from when I was in high school. I'm like, oh, look, the death's head tree. <laughs> Those are so much fun. Well, um... Before uh, I, I wanted to, I wanted to point out one one section here, chapter four in this. That's book what I have is, open to, and was waiting my turn for. Oh, okay, it's incredible. Yes. But you go go for it, Ida. All right. So I know the guys were talking about earlier the whole. There's a really strong undercurrent of consent and making sure that the horror is about putting the characters through horror, not about putting your player through horror. Yeah. So chapter four is called Horror Adventures, and it covers, you know, understanding horror, preparing for it, doing a content survey, um, and uh, like with content themes and questionnaires, like all this stuff for your session zero to make sure that you're not just like getting together a bunch of people who want to do like a happy fun, you know, dungeon delve and you drop them in the middle of their worst nightmare mm-hmm. you know making sure everybody's down for it and it's mm-hmm. it's just a really thoughtful and um thorough and straightforward way to assess everybody's interest and make sure that everyone's on the same page get everything together and really just like set it up for maximum fun maximum efficiency maximum horror and it's something that I really appreciated about this. <clears throat> and and yeah. what I, what I really like about uh, chapter four, especially is the horror toolkit for any yes. DM that wants to have, like, maybe you don't want to run an entire horror campaign, but maybe like your players go into a haunted house or something and, and you just want a, a, a bit of it. Um, right. In it, they talk about curses, how you can lay curses um, how they, how you can, um, have components of it, something, how you can have a lasting, meaningful curse that isn't just like dispelled by a, uh, you know, um, restoration spell or something like that. Right. But, um, and, and so there's a whole section on like, Hey, here, here are the aspects to make a really meaty curse that, mm-hmm you know, can be impactful and can be a, a core part of the game or a core part of a character's arc. Um, as well as I, their, their fear and stress. Is another yes, one that was in, what I was going to talk about. Do you want to go for it? Ida? Yeah. So, Do it. Um, I love it. I love it. <laughs> so using these, there's, um, there's a, a chart you can go off of for seeds of fear that you can really, uh, that, that just lets you build into your character something that is super just immediately hooks anything like it's a really nice just just for example there's like 
being followed chills my blood. Uh, I'm terrified of a particular kind of animal, or I hate being stuck in tight spaces. Um, I can't be comfortable around creatures larger than me. These are all just like, these are seeds of fear that you can give your character that are rooted in real, like, honest-to-goodness fears that, as a player, you can use as an awesome springboard to really, like, play up aspects keep going a little touchstone for um for you know how you react to a scenario and with the stress thing look being an adventurer is stressful (laughs) and i don't think that uh we often appreciate how stressful it is in ravenloft it's even more stressful because quite frankly look if you're playing a ravenloft game you're not looking for a happy ending you're not going (laughs) to get it generally you're You're gonna gonna get get, happy enough yeah it's it's um hey at least i didn't die too horribly (laughs) and that's great that's the best you're getting and you're telling a great story along the way but having these stressors um is like i lost all my words but i just the uh the stress it's not a table, but there's like little thoughts of like, what's this, you know, what's this moment? Where can you draw the stress out on this? It's really built to help the DM um, make sure that they are, <clears throat> pardon me, that they're playing all the right notes. Well, what's cool on a mechanical level about it is like the seeds of fear gives you an opportunity as a DM to be like, hey, you're playing your fear. You get inspiration, which is yeah. something that like mm-hmm. I, as a DM, sometimes have a problem. Inspiration is a really cool tool that I think is underused in 5th edition. It's basically you do something rad or do something like that's that's, uh, it's supposed to be a reward for role playing that basically gives you a free um, one time advantage on any role you want. And then when you use it, you lose it. And the idea is, but you're going to keep role playing awesomely and gain it back again. Um, So being able to have a fear, a seat of fear that also is like, oh, hey, you're acting on your seat of fear. You get inspiration. That's a great, like, transaction at the table for the players and the D- and, and the GM. And then the stress um, can be keyed off of a player using their seat of fear. And, and then um, the stress can be tracked numerically as a stress score, increasing when uh, situations are trying and decreasing when people have like long rests and aren't just like in a tense situation. And what that stress score can do um, is uh, uh, basically um, it's a cumulative penalty when characters make attack rolls, ability checks or saving throws. So if you add stress to your game, like, that the the higher the tension, the more you're stacking on those the the stress points, it starts eating away at your natural bonuses that you get for your proficiency, for your strength and stuff. It just it just starts eating away at that slowly. And the more you push and the more stressful the situation gets, suddenly you're you're like your plus five bonus whenever you roll a D20 might start becoming a 
minus one or minus two penalty because of all the crazy shit you've seen and you haven't rested and you haven't stopped and you haven't slowed down because there's zombies behind you and they're not the slow zombies they're the fast ones and like how that all can ramp up the tension at the game without ramping up like a a person's actual tension a player's actual tension it's awesome yeah, really think, clever. I like it. Yeah, and I think the last thing I want to touch on before we we will have to move on, sadly, yeah, is in that same chapter towards the end, they've added something called survivors. Yes, I'm glad you're and talking about this. This, this is, is really cool. This was in one of the old Ravenloft books a long time ago, and they dropped it. But so survivors are survivors are like the everyday people you see in a horror movie. You know, they're like the first cop on the serial killer's crime scene. They're the final girl that doesn't have any real powers, but it's the final girl. And the game is set up that if you want to really play a tough game, if you want to, you can play as a group of these survivors. They have just generic stats. Literally, the final girl is is one of the pictures yeah. they use. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're just and and when you're playing these kind of characters, like a skeleton is deadly. But the other really great potential of this new version called the survivors. Ravenloft focuses a lot on like dramatic scenes, uh, using dreams played out. That can get kind of boring if you're not the person dreaming, if you're other players at the table. But the survivors, what what that system does is the other players can can play elements in that player's dream. They can be like the shopkeeper who was there when all this shit went so like you can play the shopkeeper that also gives you the potential of in traditional adventure games and even in ravenloft the players are the ones who usually are brought in because something has happened something horrible has happened you can use the survivor mechanic and almost like a 0.5 session you can play out the horrible thing that happened and then jump to the players who are now going to investigate it the heroes that are investigating or conversely because the survivors uh the survivor it only goes to level three and you get minimal stuff you can get kind of like kind of sort of feats uh that can give you something like an adrenaline surge or a desperate scream or uh you know uh sacrificing shield like these are these are little little things you can get as you level up in this special survivor uh mode uh the survivor um play style but it only goes to level three so if your character does survive and becomes you know makes it through well then using those talents that you got you could then make a third level character and this can be your background you made it out of the haunted house alive and you were the only one to to do so and now you know you hate this particular ghost or whatever and you're after but like you can create you could have a game that anyone that's you know is the last survivors if it's one or two people or if it's you know if everyone's awesome and they're all and they all survive uh you could then be like okay and now you're all third level let's make third level characters as you know a fighter and a wizard and and whatever and you've got this really robust shared story that everyone is a part of now Yeah, you can, uh, as their background. 
Yeah, and, and I, I already see it. Like the way the game is designed, you're all these survivors. And say you're not going to make it. But Ravenloft, this book has these lineages. So you're all about to die, but then you all receive something. And it would be the player's choice. But like, you know, it's like, like being as your character is, you know, is, is, is feeling the last of her life come out of her body. You know, she hears this woman whisper in her ear that says, I can keep you alive if you want to be one of my children because say you wanted to play a hex board that's how you work it in um one of your characters dies say but you know you want to play as a reborn you literally come out of the grave with no memory of what happened to you but you're that same character so you could tie these lineages in with the survivor if you really want to play that storytelling element um it's really really neat i love it So, I mean, really, this book it just keeps coming back to the story element. And it's it's yeah. a real strong supplement. It's a real strong book. Get it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, you're muted, Cable. I have a question. Okay. And that is, would you, is there a particular level of uh, player level? Not Not the player character, but... If I'm playing D&D and I've been playing for years, is this book right for me? Is it right for my group? Um, or if I'm just now jumping into D&D for the first time, do I want to start with Ravenloft? Um, if you like horror and you think your players and your friends would enjoy horror, then yeah. I think in terms of the game itself, it's no more advanced. I think it's it requires slightly more advanced storytelling. Okay. And I think that comes yeah. more with age. Like I can't imagine being 12 and running a good Ravenloft game. <laughs> like you're just at least not a fair one. You, maybe you haven't, maybe me you haven't seen horrors yet when you're 12. And if you um, have, this is not the place for you because you should maybe go somewhere else. Okay. Maybe me <laughs> at 12 could have had, could have had fun. <laughs> I, I think too, if you've seen horrors at 12, D and D is the least of the things that you're interested in. Right. Like, right. Probably, but, um, but I would say that uh, yeah, it's definitely more for uh, people who are more into stronger storytelling stuff um, mm-hmm. than just you know, I move forward and I stab, step, step, I stab, get gold, come back, get rich, get this drunk. Yeah, this doesn't gold, sound like up. it's the. Uh, it doesn't sound like it's the setting for murder hobos. No, there's nothing against no. murder hobos. Sometimes I just want to like go clear out a dungeon and sure. not think about the ethics of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but other times I want to tell a really weird, messed up story with my friends. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, yeah. Let's say, man, this year Wizards has been kind of knocking it out of the park with the D and D books. They're kind of <laughs> three for three yeah. with me digging it right now. Yeah, yeah. I am. Um... Yeah, because it, yeah. it's been, uh, this is the most recent, before this mm-hmm. was Candlekeep Mysteries, yeah. and before that was Tasha's Cauldron yeah. of Everything. This, yeah. All fantastic books. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, definitely, I definitely think that um, this book is set up in a really coherent way, so that if you are new to the genre or new to the table, um, it's very easy to pick up and it's very easy to utilize. Uh, and it's, and it's done so in a way that's like, um, I don't, I don't know where to go for this or I don't know where to go for that. I will say there is no index, which, you know, has, 
Wizards Wizards hasn't been adding indexes to some of their books, which I like. I appreciate an index. I, I do, but um, I do too. But, but even the indexes they do have are not very good. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Player's Handbook <laughs> index is awful. Oh well, that was the, to be to, granted. That was like you know almost six years ago. That I know. I, they they anyway, but but if you if you're going to play. Like just like Ida said, if your interest is in telling a spooky, weird story, this is a must-have book. Mm-hmm. You, you, yeah. Even if you are, you know, if this is old hat or if this is your new, new hot jam, uh, this is a must-have book. If that's the sort of st- story you want to tell, if it isn't the sort of story you want to tell, and you're not interested in that, and your players at the table have no interest in scary stuff, then and then it's it's you know it's very pretty it's a very pretty book and there's some cool monsters in the back that you might be able to use but, but ultimately, yeah. otherwise there's other yeah. other games you could play yeah. other yeah. other campaigns you could run exactly. so Max just made a comment in the chat that is uh worth addressing uh they said that they've been wanting to do a dm horror story haven't been a dm before but this makes them really want to uh so this would be yeah. first time as a DM. What do you have to yeah. say about that? Yeah, I think this yeah. is absolutely a book you should pick up if it's your first time DMing. There are excellent tips and tricks yeah. uh, that will really create an excellent scaffolding uh, to tell the story you want to tell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and- there's a really good balance uh, between like it makes no assumptions that you already know what you're doing DMing. But it also doesn't like keep harping on you about stuff. It's got a really good layout uh, for new DMs. I think that uh, you could absolutely pick this book up and run uh, run an adventure with it, uh, no problem. Yeah. The other thing that helps, I think, especially if you're a new DM with Ravenloft, Ravenloft as a rule discourages the use of random encounters or encounters for encounters' sake. So every encounter your players get into. In one form or another, you have crafted. It is part of the story. So not to say that the players are like on a railroad type storytelling. Ah, unless they're on the actual train. Yeah, ghost train. But um, with its emphasis on heavy storytelling, uh, I think if you're comfortable with the horror genre, it's a not a bad place to start DMing. Yeah. Not to say you don't have to know the rules, but you don't have to know them as well. If that makes if that makes sense, like yeah, it's relying on, you, on story so much that if you flub a rule, you can kind of just go and eh, moving on I mean, with the story. Yeah, I think honest. that's that's okay. very much an answer to the yeah. question. Is like, yeah. is is this I mean, a good type of not 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 just the horror element, but like just like the Ravenloft and the mechanics itself? Is it good right. for someone who's never DM before? And it it definitely mm-hmm. sounds like the answer. Yes, I'd say that. Yes. That being said. Still get the Dungeon Master's Guide. Mm. There's a lot of really good information in that. Yeah. That, uh, it, it's, it's an excellent source uh, that I feel like people that have it are just like, oh, yeah, let's look at the magic items section and then, like, ignore the other two-thirds of the book. And there's <laughs> such good information in it. Yeah, so. there really is. Yeah. So there, I, we're giving it all yeah. every thumb up we can. Boom. And a couple of tentacles. Well, since we are going to wrap up gushing about Von Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, this is, of course, a great time to talk about our sponsors. First up, Guardian Games. Hey, guess what they just got in and is on sale? Not on sale. For sale. You know what I mean. 
Oh, I screwed up this perfect opening. Why, it's Vaudrichton's Guide to Ravenloft. Um, if what we said doesn't make you want to try it, then you just, I don't know, you, you don't like, well, you probably just don't like horror or role-playing games. Either way, uh, check them out. 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon. You did mention Cable Say um, that the alternate art cover is only available at game stores. So if you see it online at like Amazon, that's someone reselling it. Uh, so you know what? Go to Guardian, 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon. Get that alternate art cover. And while you're there, look at all the other games that are in stock. You know, support your local shops right now. There are, as we start to slowly open up and the potential of in-person gaming and hanging out uh, becomes more of a reality, this is the time to, you know, go back and show your love and show how much you uh, you thank Guardian for I mean, frankly, for the last two years, kind of keeping us all sane while we were locked in and providing us with games and ways to be social while still being apart. That is something that gaming can do, unlike so many other things out there. Gaming can bring people together, whether they're in the same room or on the other side of the world. Check them out. 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon. You can also find them online at guardiangames.com. Either way, when you get there, please thank them for being a sponsor of Geek in the City Radio. Like our current, like, like our current sponsor, <laughs> like our next sponsor, Bridge City Comics. I am not speaking well today. Fantastic. Bridge City Comics, 3725 North Mississippi Avenue in Portland, Oregon. Uh, I think we mentioned it last week on the show, the breaking news that Regina King set to direct Bitter Root by our buddy and friend of the show, David uh, Walker, also co-created by artist, amazing artist, Sanford Green. Um... If you're like, man, this sounds cool. What is it? Like you've heard David talk about Bitterroot before, but if you didn't pick anything up or whatever, like the first trade is out. Like they're doing current issues, but the first trade of Bitterroot is out there. And I highly recommend you pick it up at Bridge City Comics, 3725 North Mississippi Avenue. And while you're there, you know, check out all the other comics. Maybe start start your own subscription box. There's a lot of cool Marvel movies coming out that if you want to know the source material for like Black Widow or Shang-Chi or... Doc Strange or Spider, whatever. You know what? Go to where it all began. Go to your local comic book store. And in this case, that's Bridge City Comics. 3725 North Mississippi Avenue. And when you are there, as always, give them a huge thanks for sponsoring Geek in the City Radio. And of course, before we get back to the show, a big shout out to Rev Nat of Reverend Nat's Hard Cider for providing us equipment so that we can continue to bring you quality programming while still in different areas of the town uh there we are we are harding starting to have talks about maybe recording in person again but you know what that's still some time away and while it's that time away we thank revnat for hooking us up with equipment revnat's hard cider helping everybody out during these times let's get back to the show what shall we move on to other than breaking news oh i shared this because it was relevant to uh, Greg Anita, if of recent interest, uh, Norm in the chat shared that um, Attack the Block Two oh, cool. uh, is coming to to a screen near you because uh, John Boyega just announced it on his Instagram. Awesome! Um, and you guys just watched that the other night, right? We actually didn't end up getting to, um, oh. so we we have it. We're gonna we're gonna sit down and watch it. Uh, Maybe tonight. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, a couple of things. It, it got announced yesterday. Yeah, and 
it's not just John Doyle returning. It is also the writer director of the uh, the original Attack the Block is also returning, which is cool. very cool. So, yeah, this was the first I was hearing about it, so I was excited. That's a really fun movie. Yeah, it's so good. It, I think it's. It was definitely the movie that I watched and went, oh, I'm going to keep an eye on this John Boyega kid because he's going to be someone. He's going oh, to did you see it dude. a couple years ago? I saw it, I think, the year after it came out. Oh, yeah. I only, I didn't even, I never heard about it. So I, I saw it when, I guess it came out on Netflix like yeah. two years ago. I, yeah, that I, I saw it back then. And that's why I knew when like he was cast in Star Wars. I'm like, there it is. Yeah, I I think I saw it because a it was like some kind of monster movie, and I'm a Nick Frost fan, so I was like, oh, mm-hmm. Nick Frost is in this kind of cool, low budget kind of horror sci fi thing. I'll watch that, and then yeah, you see John Boyega, and you're like, god damn. Yeah, that was incredible screen presence, is what that yeah. kid has. Yeah, he was really and, the mon- and then when you find out like how much they spent making it and what they did to create the creatures in it, fucking a. That's oh, some yeah? smart filmmaking. It's brilliant. Yeah. What they do? Watch it. Yeah, okay. you got to watch it. Yeah. Watch it, then yeah. we'll okay. talk. A lot, okay. of in, okay. lot, of, lot of really good in-camera tricks. Cool. All right. Yeah. Sweet. Gee, yeah. if we have to have you back again so you can give us a review of Attack the Block, oh, that would just be the worst. <laughs> oh, man. And if we had a hard deadline on it, we wouldn't keep going, oh, yeah, I'll do that in a minute. Well, hold on, hold on. We're all full of ideas and no plans here. What you want to do is you want to set up a date to watch the movie shortly before Attack the Block 2 comes out so you can talk about it, review it, and then be that much more excited when the next one comes out soon after. And then we do it again after. That's like in two years, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, fine. Just watch it now. Yeah. Say, announcing a movie, that means it's it's they got to make it still, you know? Yeah. We'll watch it and then we'll do the rewatch and everything closer to and get super amped and maybe even all get to go together to see it in theaters or something. Oh my God. Can you imagine? Oh, that's oh. Also, total random sidebar kind of connected <laughs> back with the Ravenloft thing. Yeah. We, we need to find a way. There's that new Ravensmore bar that opened in Portland, the haunted house bar. Yeah. We've got to find a way to like, get paid to run like a bi-weekly Ravenloft game there. Oh yeah. Anyway, that's just we can figure I, something out. I think the first things that we can do is actually just uh, go, go patronize the, the bar and help it succeed. Yes. yes. I, I, I would very happily just start that... with that. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm just job hunting right now so I'm trying to find <laughs> That's fair. Not By the way, I'm job hunting everyone. So. Yes. Aaron, Aaron, everything has to be a hustle. Yeah. Some things you can do because you enjoy them. Some things you can do them because it's part of the community. Uh, Why not both? uh, Because that's capitalism talking. That's right. Well, that that's having to help with rent talking, which is still part of capitalism talking. I I digress. I'm going to get back into my whole fuck normal speech, and I don't want to do that. (laughs) But but yeah. Yes, help Aaron find something that he can get paid to do that he doesn't hate himself for. Yeah. Yes. That was awesome. great. As soon as anyway. I find it. Huh? As soon as I can find such a thing. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> if something okay. comes up with Guardian, I will let you know, Aaron. 
Yay. Well, what should we move on to now? Um, do we want to talk movies or Legos? Let's do Legos. Let's do Legos. Okay. More games. So I'm going to put a link to this in the... Uh, well, here, I'll set it that. up to you can share if you'd like. Ooh. Yeah, let's try that. Uh, there you go. You should be able to share now. If you would like. Okay. Let's see what I can do here. If not, I'll click the link and hit the share for folks that can. That way, people on the YouTube. Oh, hey! So, this has been rumored for about the past three months that Lego was introducing a creator level Marvel Comics uh, set. And go ahead. If if it's creator, that means you can link it up with the other Creator Town stuff, huh? It's actually. I'll get to that. Okay. So, um, and that's what they did. Uh, yesterday they uh, they put this out. This is the Daily Bugle. So it cool. is not. It is not tied to any specific movie or television show, and it is the largest set like this that they have created. It is the largest building that they have created. It is four stories tall, but each floor is like double in height and. It normally is. Wow. And it comes with a whopping <laughs> 25 minifigs. There's so much going on here. There's so much going on in this thing. First of all, I just want to make sure I understood you correctly. When you mm-hmm. say, you know, four stories, but double the usual, if you put it up next to a one story, or let's say like a, a two story Lego, a traditional two story Lego building, it would still be four times the height. Yes. Uh, like if you put this against um, any of the other creator sets, they're usually about uh, three stories tall. Mm-hmm. This would stand um, another two, two and a half stories taller than that. Yeah. Like the Haunted House, which is part of the creator series that I have, is just under three feet tall. And that's yeah. kind of the tippy tip spire that you put on top. And Gen- how many floors is that? in the building uh it's a haunted house so it technically has like eight floors because it's got an elevator drop so yep because it's a ride it's a ride yeah it's it's part of their fairground series yeah so what i put up on the screen um is an interior shot so usually um (laughs) the uh ah, sorry the floors on other buildings stop at around here where the magnifying glass is. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so these are like double wide ceilings. So that way it feels like it's a giant building, a giant office building. Um, there's a, a main floor lobby. Um, and then you've got the bullpen for the reporters. Yeah. Somehow Peter Parker got his own office on what <laughs> seems to be an abandoned floor with a photocopier. What cracks me up is his office is a, a goddamn meme. What? It's a Spider-Man <laughs> meme from Spider-Man sitting at a desk with a picture of Spider-Man behind it. Yeah. It's a <laughs> and they did it on purpose. I saw a comment when they released it. Someone said, like, why would you want to have a whole, like, 
what's the point of having like the copier room in this Lego build? And then, and like the immediate comment was like, well, duh. So Doc Ock can break in and start a fight. Why else? Right. That's what it's for. <laughs> Idiot. The um, spider buggy. Yes. That, that's like, it is full of things like this. It's like spider buggy is one of those things that if you were a kid in the eighties and had Mego action figures, spider buggy was what your Spider-Man figure drove around in because that made sense. Yeah, it could also climb walls or whatever. It could it do didn't. whatever a spider buggy can. And, and this one <laughs> climbs the wall. Yep. <laughs> um. The, but the the thing is, oh, like, there's Spider Gwen too. Yeah. So let me bring up uh, the mini figs. Is this the build? This is the build review. This is from the Brothers Brick, which is a great blog. I almost want this. I don't collect any Lego superhero, but. It's just so cool looking. Yeah. So, so it looks like on. you get all of them in this set. It's the so the photo <laughs> all I have up. Look at that. All of them. So this is the first time we are getting Daredevil, Firestar, <laughs> um, Punisher, and Blade. That's wow. what I thought it was. That's amazing. Uh, this is, I think, the the third or fourth Miles Morales. Mm-hmm. Um, right. the third spider ham and the third um, sp- ghost spider or spider gwen um, I love so- that Sandman I don't think have they done Sandman like that before only once before mm. and and then it's he comes with a, an extra brick build that you can add on to but yeah the villains are mis- classic Mysterio yeah. Black Cat, Carnage and, and Venom tying into mm-hmm. Uh, our conversation about Venom earlier. Uh, Doc Ock with a completely new arm build that is amazing. And Green Goblin. And Green Goblin fits into the build as well. Uh, if you look at the... Uh, let me just scroll down to it. Uh, everyone should also go to the Brothers Brick to read up on their review of the build. And then you get to see how it's built in stages. It's it's amazing. Oh, really cool. Well, that thing is big. Wow. Yeah. So the action sequence with the Green Goblin is him breaking through the, like, crashing out of the building. So all of these bits and pieces are just, they're still held on. Um, hmm. But it's, it's kind of amazing. Kind of a freeze frame, like. Exactly. Um, let's see. Spider-Man is normal. There's Peter Parker, Spider-Ham. Uh, ghost spider and then also gwen stacy so you get her civilian mm-hmm. uh, there's a, a new miles morales i dig that one daredevil mm-hmm. um, and this is part of the the sandman extra build that's cool oh wow yep. there's frank castle the punisher <laughs> which is not this is not a minifigure i ever expected to see in lego form ever no yeah. ever um blade that's awesome <laughs> Firestar, who was only created for the Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends television series, because uh, they couldn't use Johnny Storm slash the Human Torch. Yep. Uh, so they made Firestar. Huh. Black Cat. Mm-hmm. These are the civilians. <laughs> There's Benny the cab driver. Uh, what's this character's name? Uh, Ron Barney. And mm-hmm. Amber Grant, who runs the little newsstand. There's Aww. Aunt May with cookies. Oh, we cookies. Yep. Oh, what so, else did she have? I'm so glad they got Robbie. 
Yep. Robbie <laughs> Robertson, yeah. Ben Yurick, Betty Brant, J. Jonah Jameson. This ah! is my favorite part. <laughs> He's got a webbed up mouth and a purple shirt. By the way, that Ben Yurick just looks exactly like Brian Cranston. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Oh, breaking, yeah. breaking Bad, Brian Cranston. Yep. Yeah. So here's the the bass with um, uh, Sandman, and then you can attach him to this larger brick built base That's that cool. makes it look like he's making a, a sand tornado. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. Yeah. Classic Mysterio, very <laughs> classic looking Green Goblin. Yeah. Uh, Venom, Carnage, both have been produced before, so they're fine. But this is the amazing part, is the Doc Ock arms. Ooh. Oh, wow. So it's four pieces. Oh, yeah. So they move. Yes. Yeah. Nice. That good, that good squiddly. Yep. They'll just mm-hmm. move in all different ways. So this piece right here. Is that a new piece that they made specifically for It's this? a piece that showed up in the DC Superheroes minifig line. They made those in clear. And they're designed to fit in the foot peg uh, or the foothole of a superhero. So it looks like they're flying or floating or running really fast. Okay. And they've been getting huge usage out of that. Ooh, I'm going to grab a thing. Okay, I think I need to get some of those. So here's piece usage of that. This is from the collectible, collectible mini series. This is a, or minifig series. This is a, the beekeeper. Mm-hmm. But his smoker uh-huh. is one of those bases oh. on top of a mug. Nice. <laughs> oh shoot, that's cool. Yeah. This is this is why at nearly fifty I still love Lego. <laughs> you still have another uh fifty years to go before you're not allowed to play with them anymore. Forty nine. It's ninety nine well, when you hit ninety nine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh it is, you're right. Yeah. Yep. Hence the memes of so many people saying they hit 100 years old and can't play with Lego anymore. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this this thing is um, huge. So you know the regular size base plates uh, that they do for these? Yeah. I believe this actually takes... I'm trying to remember. I think it says it's uh, a 48 by 48 stud instead of a 32 by 32 stud. Wow. That's a lot. It's a lot. It's it's makes it a bigger base plate, and uh, it looks like it. No, it does say it does say it's a standard thirty-two by thirty-two. So that means it will fit in between any of your other creator. Nice. It goes on sale June first and will retail for three hundred dollars. It is over. 3,200 pieces. Wow. Um, doesn't ahead. seem that expensive for its size, but I guess Lego pricings, you can kind of figure out really easily. Like you multiply the pieces by a certain amount. or So like the Brothers Brick is um, a Lego fan site and they do reviews. And so Lego will send them things. Mm-hmm. And uh, like that's how they have a copy of this uh, months before is that they were given permission to take it and build it and then review it. And they're never obligated to do so, but they're like, yeah, of course we are. That's right. the instruction booklet. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's almost a Montgomery Ward's catalog. Wow. <laughs> um, 
but it, yeah, it, I, I, I think the, one of the things they said is they talked about how the piece per um, cost breakdown is like, uh, I forget what it is, but it, it like eight, 18, 18 or 19 cents, something like that. Yeah. It, they said, whatever it is based solely on um, the innovation in the builds um, and the creation of um or the introduction of like nine brand new minifigs, um, seven of which are introductions for characters that we haven't seen before. This is well worth the $300. Yeah, it's pretty great. So I know it's going on my wish list. I don't even get Ooh. excited about Spider-Man, but I want to build that. That's it the looks, thing. Like, it I, looks yeah. just like deeply but wonderfully challenging. Mm-hmm. If you are a Lego VIP member, it goes on sale a week earlier. Ooh. Oh. It was on sale on the 26th. I By the way, it literally costs you nothing to become a VIP member. So if you want it early. Yep. <laughs> so I think this is, it, yeah, it, it's already on my list. And I've been eye, eyeballing my Marvel City to figure out where exactly that's going to go. <laughs> and then how to make my um, Avengers Tower at least one more floor taller so it's still taller. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, for four reasons, I had to be in Washington Square today for a little bit, and I can never help. I have to go to the Lego store whenever I'm there. And uh, they were telling, I said, no, I did see it, but they couldn't quit, like, gushing about it, and they were super excited, and um, yeah, that's still a dangerous store to go to, because they've got yeah. a good, they've got a good restock right now. Oh, do they? Of course they do. Yes, they do. And um, if you have a spare $1,000, uh, they have the giant Star Destroyer back in. Oh, you know the one that comes like in a three by three box, like a fucking a yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yep, right there behind the counter. Wow. <laughs> Someone will. Someone's gonna walk in and buy that thing right after. Oh show. yeah, but you need a room for that thing, like literally a room to display it. I'm going to stop sharing screen now. Click. There we go. <laughs> Yay. I feel like uh, the the Star Destroyer and the uh, the Tiamat minifig are uh, in that same camp of like <laughs> you you <laughs> you need how do you a, store it, that? <laughs> yeah, like the, well, I mean, how big is the finished piece? It's usually like six feet long. The Star Destroyer one, yeah, it's yeah. like six feet yeah. long. It's like my whole dining room table. Yes, yeah, it is. Yep. There is a reason that that Lego collectors that are even more fanatic than I require an entire room in their homes that are nothing but Lego. Although that would be like if you if you could hang that from the ceiling in a room after you created it, that would that'd be pretty cool. That'd be sweet. I did that with my Damocles Star Destroyer. The the bombers like this. Yeah, don't walk underneath of it. Nope. I would just look at it daily going, is today the day you're going to give way? For <laughs> <laughs> some um, reason, we have lost the YouTube feed. Let's keep going. I might close the YouTube feed and relaunch it on our end. Oh, no. I'm no. wondering if screen sharing has something where YouTube goes, nope, how dare you? No. Could be. It, no idea. It might Rude. be. Yeah. Processing so, processes it too much. 
Mm. Or it could be them covering their ass on like an a, error occurred. Yeah. Please try again later. Right. Let's just keep, we'll keep going. But okay. uh, yeah, because I'm recording, yeah. so it's fine. Yeah. Sorry, folks. Yeah. I um, apologize. The only thing that I wanted to talk about was um, so a couple weeks ago now, I watched The Raid for the first time, which is an amazing martial arts Heck yeah. movie. If you haven't watched it, uh, yes, it's dead similar to Dread. Yes. Uh, but you also have to take in consideration that Dread was probably already in production uh, at the same time that the raid was in production. Oh, yeah, that's why I never I never bought into that. But yeah. yeah. One did not steal from the other. Anyway, um, so I started looking up people like the, the lead actor, which is... Uh, Iko Uwais, um, who is a master at, uh, what is the name of this? Uh, Silat. Silat is an Indonesian martial art. Um, I'm like, oh yeah, what else has this guy been in? Oh, right. He's in Wu Assassins on um, Netflix. I need to watch that. Oh, right. He's, he was also part of that... Uh, space asian gang in the star wars episode seven. Oh right that was weird it, it's actually a whole bunch of people from the raid are that right. gang. oh um because it's also yayan ruihan who was uh the mad dog in the raid he was just he was the like if you walked into a room with him and he started fighting you were dead he was he was a beast, um, but they, yeah, both of them, all of them were in Star Wars together. And I'm scrolling through the guys, uh, uh, Eco's uh, IMDb, and I see Snake Eyes. I'm like, all oh, right, I forgot they were making that movie. Oh, well, he's playing Hard Master in GI Joe. That they're in Snake Eyes. That'll be great. And then I click over to it, and I discover that something has happened to the Snake Eyes movie since I first heard about it years ago and now. And that is the casting of the movie is predominantly Asian. Yes. Are you saying it wasn't when you when it first uh, was being discussed a couple of years ago? So Snake Eyes has traditionally always been a white man trained by Japanese people. Um so that he is the great white ninja. Yeah. A la Iron Fist? Uh, a la Iron <clears throat> Fist. His, a la, yeah. Like, yeah, his, his story... Let's just say his original story is that he gets really fucked up. I mean, if you go way back in G.I. Joe, he mm-hmm. gets really fucked up during Vietnam, like physically, mentally. He's kind of a wreck. And the hard master leader of the Arashikage clan like takes him in of like, you will either learn this discipline or you are going to end up killing yourself or killing others. You're, you're fucking broken. So I'm going to help you. Hmm. So, yeah, but yeah, still the white guy. (laughs) Yeah. And which it's the eighties. I get it. Um, Snake eyes in the upcoming movie is being played by Henry Golding. Who is the lead actor from Crazy Rich Asians. Yep. Oh. Um, and Henry Golding is Malaysian. So they've in, in one fell swoop very much uh, 
shown that it's like, oh, we can take, we can update this character. And they did the thing that they should have done with Iron Fist, which was make him an Asian. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the, the cat, so I start digging into the cast list for this. And I'm like, wait, this is, this is amazing. Uh, Andrew Koji, who is playing Storm Shadow, uh, the opposite to Snake Eyes, is also the lead actor in The Warrior, which is, um, based on the writings of Bruce Lee, it was yes. what he originally thought Kung Fu or what he wanted Kung Fu to be, and is being produced yeah. by Shannon Lee. And it's so yeah. good. And it's so good. So excited. So, oh, like already, I'm looking at this, going, okay, you've got you've got Henry Golding, you've got Andrew Koji, you've got Iko Weiss. Like, who else is going to be in this? And it's and then the trailer dropped, <laughs> or the teaser did. And so right. we all got to see, it's like, oh, okay, you're 100% doing a movie set in Japan and international cast. Like, they, we get Scarlet in this movie, played by Samara Weaving oh. um, from Ready or Not and The Babysitter and Hugo <clears throat> Weaving's niece. I thought she was his daughter, but okay. Yeah. Niece. niece. It's, okay. it's his niece. I looked it up because the first movie I saw her in, which was The Babysitter, I sat there going, why does this woman look like Hugo Weaving? <laughs> right. Why does this woman look? And I looked her up and I'm like, oh, well, that makes sense. <laughs> it, she's also Australian, which explains why she also looks like Margaret, Margaret Robbie. <laughs> all Australian blondes look the same. And it's not racist because they're all white people. Yes. <laughs> they're um, distinctly different looking people, but. Yep. I really, agree, I so. really thought it was Margot Robbie in Ready or Not. Like I had to keep convincing myself it was not her. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't think it was Jamie Presley because that would have been Jamie Presley like tw- 20 years ago. Yeah. Years ago. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I, I for a movie that I didn't realize was coming out, I'm like, well, well this is fantastic, uh, especially to have this movie drop in the middle of May which is Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And of note, this article also dropped today, which is that uh, basically put together a bunch of stats about Asian Pacific Islander leads in Hollywood movies. Um, They basically looked at 1,300 movies, top grossing movies between 2007 and 2019. And only 13 of those movies or 3.4% or I'm sorry, 3.4% of the top grossing movies in the past 13 years were um, had an API protagonist in a predominant role. And uh, which I think comes out to about 44 films and that of those 44 films, there were 22 individual actors as those api protagonists one of them is dwayne johnson who who's accredited in 14 of those 44 films so he makes up one third of all api movie <laughs> wow so it's like i i know he also makes up one third i think of all movies now also anyway sure this is true. possibly um yeah. But it it is one of those things where it's like if there's going to be any backlash, which there is, there there are angry 
GI fans already um, that are mad about this casting, that are mad about um, Snake Eyes not being a white guy. I will give some leeway to I wish it was still Ray Park because, you know, I thought Ray Park did a fine job. He did. Not speaking and, and doing action stuff, but they have decidedly gone with a more uh, conversational Snake Eyes for this movie, so it's it's oh. just uh, And it's called Origins, so you think this thing ends with something bad happening that we no longer see a talking Snake Eyes? Yes, I do. I 100% do. And I think it's also, I think we see how both he and Scarlet, where their bond comes from, and then how they end up in the the G.I. Joe team together. Um, I I was reading an article from Entertainment Weekly about, from Golding, where he's being interviewed about it. And it really is an origin story um, in three acts for him coming to the Arajik, uh, Arashikagi, uh, which does mean storm shadow, by the way. Heck yeah. Um, Arashi is tempest and Kage is shadow. This is also what our Asagi game sounds like. I stop in the middle of everything and give everyone a history lesson. History lesson. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. Um, I like that uh, Peter Mench, uh, Menchot is playing uh, yes. a He's one of those guys that, like, every time I see him, I'm like, I dig this dude. How come I don't see him anymore? I mean, he's in a lot of stuff, but he is. Every time you see him, because he's got he's got a very distinct face, his presence on screen. Like when you see him, you're like, that's him. So you go, oh, that guy. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. This is a like I think Samara Weaving is probably the most traditional uh white person in this movie right like um the baroness is in the movie and she's played by a spanish actress ursula corbero mm-hmm. i'm like Ooh, this that is name couldn't be more spanish ursula corbero delgado like okay yep and she ease back there it's like i'm, I, I'm okay with this that's gonna be great that's how all they. That's how they do all their names. Mm-hmm. Aggressively Spanish. Yes, <laughs> I mean that's kind of how they did half the world. Aggressively Spanish. Yep. You're not wrong. No lies detected. No, no she's here right now. <laughs> she's gonna make a really good Baroness, and that's all I'm gonna say. Otherwise, I'll sound very creepy. Yeah, I think she's going to be great. Like I haven't seen her body work, but just on looks alone and that little look that she gives in the trailer to Scarlet, it's like, yeah, you're going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm looking forward to this. Um, yeah. I. It's like it, it's this and um, Shang Chi. That's I'm. I'll go back to the theater for these. Yeah, I mean, lots of fighting. I mean, a summer of fight. Mm-hmm. Summer of fisticuffs. I, I mm-hmm. think that's okay. I think I need things that still inspire me to remain in the fight. Punch fight yeah. kick. But honestly, <laughs> I get that. Cool. So yeah, that looks cool. Uh, do you want to jump into the Bad Batch? Because we're pushing pretty hard here. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's just the one episode we have to talk about, right? I haven't seen it yet, so you guys are off and running. Do, do I, you wanna... I, I, I just fell behind. 
since they're shorter episodes, do you, Bean, do you want to hold it? And then next week we can do two episodes? Yeah, yeah, we can wait till next week. Let's, and that way we're not like pushing for time. Yeah. We can take okay. off and say we'll do whatever we want for the next 15 minutes. Or just yes. stop. You want to stop? No, we can go another 10 minutes or so. Well, one thing, one thing I, I did want to loop back real, real quick about um, uh, there was that, uh, that viewer that was talking about play, uh, DMing for the first time and yes. maybe yes. picking up this book. I almost forgot to mention there's an actual adventure that's like 20 pages that's in yeah. this book called The House of Lament. So mm. you, there's a, there's a game right really cool. there. No yeah. one died there. Story the, right, right in it. And with the Foxglove Weathermay sisters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were characters from way back in second edition. That yep. they, yeah. They're making a, uh, they're reintroducing a bunch of uh, NPCs from uh, they second are. edition. And it's, it's fun to see that. Like, um, you know, I know that Aaron played, played through those games. I didn't get into D&D until uh, 3.5 came out. So it's really cool to be able to see these characters that have such a rich history coming back and being able to play as them and have them in, in our stories without yeah. having to do the work of like finding the supplements that they they were in before and then converting their stats to fifth edition and all of that. Like it's, it's just cool to see all that coming through. Yeah. There's little, uh, there's definitely little nods. If you've been, running or knowing Ravenloft for its 25 years of existence or whatever. Well, longer than that. Yeah. But yeah. With that adventure that's in there, um, you know, there's, there's your hook. If you uh, are kind of new to tabletop, but say you like a trail at house on the hill. (laughs) Oh yeah. Essentially at its core, kind of that the, like each room has its little steps in which you do and you go through it. And I haven't finished digging too deep into it just yet but um it looks like a whole lot of fun yeah i'm super pumped for that one yeah that should be like a really good way to like get your feet wet but also see if the group you're trying to put together is interested in it without like committing yourself to like a lot of work that you may or may not use yeah absolutely um and if they don't like it get better friends bex yeah (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm just excited to see the House of Lament back. That gives me excited. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at the art and stuff. Like I love the reversion of uh, Alan Gray and Arthur Sedwick. They're they were monster hunters in the original Ravenloft, and it's cool to see how they've changed them now, and you know all kinds of stuff like that. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, I like now how uh, Von Richten's son, as a ghost, actually kind of follows him around now. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, there's. They took a lot of. They took a lot of cool stuff because Ravenloft was like also this ever evolving game, and Ravenloft kind of ended with Oslin trying to break out, and like shattered his domain, like fucked everything up. Mm-hmm. And this book picks right up at it. They're like, no, Aslan's been missing for no one can remember for how long. The castle is literally frozen in its magical explosion. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, look at you guys still remembering the Grand Conjuncture and then the Ascension that he did. And, ah, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. There's little nods to old school players that has no impact on new people other than it creates more rich storytelling possibilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. 
now I have to wait till July for my my Beetle and Grab version. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in July you can also look forward to Wizards trying to tempt D and D players back to playing Magic the Gathering with. Saw that. Adventures yeah. in the Forgotten Realms. I saw yeah. some of the cards. Like they put the fucking Vorpal sword in it mm-hmm. yep. with a yeah. ridiculous ability. <laughs> the Vorpal sword is also the buy a box promo. I can't get back into Magic Cable. I know. I know. <laughs> is it um, like a bo- like a booster box kind of thing? Yep. Buy a booster box. You get a Vorpal sword. I heard uh I heard they're gonna do commander boxes and someone had someone that was reading some of the cards, they're like, this is gonna be a fun set for for a commander. Like really yeah. fun. Um they've Wizards has been putting a lot more uh time, money, and uh effort behind their commander decks because they see where it has become very viable uh, commercially viable for them um format. Right. And so they've they've turned it a lot like they have they're not trying to mess with the the uh the casual format of commander but they are offering guidelines so the stores can use it as a tournament style play as well um which helps them create things that sell specifically for playing commander right oh really quick we can't have a whole lot of time but i'm just Mm -hmm. curious cable what do you think about them um dropping the pro league I don't know this. I, I think I read a couple of days ago that Wizards is just dropping the actual pro league. Um, let me like uh, this. I haven't heard yet. I sus and I haven't heard anyone talk about it at work. Granted, I've also been a little bit out of it at work lately. Right. Yeah, both Magic Pro and Rival leagues would be disbanded at the conclusion of the upcoming. 2021-2022 season. Before we can implement our new version of play, we need to successfully transition from the current system in the upcoming season, Wizards said. The 2021-2022 season's primary goals are to sunset the current system of play and allow us the freedom and flexibility to create a new system for the future. So that sounds like uh, we are trying to create something that is COVID proof. That was my vibe too. Cause everyone's like, people used to, you know, people kind of make careers on pro like, but no one can do it. Yep. And this isn't the last time we're going to have to deal with shit like this. Yeah. So these companies are having to create, you know, other ways to, you know, endure. There is a reason that um, movie theaters that, wanted nothing to do with netflix are now working with netflix yep they're like oh this format survived and we're in the shithole maybe we should partner up and you know you bring that up uh i i just found out that the uh what's it called land of the dead army Uh, army of the dead army of the dead army of the dead is the first netflix movie that will be in actual theaters it's in theaters right now it's in theaters right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so, in, I, in theaters a week in advance to the Netflix uh, premiere this Friday. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I think that's that's going to be a really fascinating merger of mm-hmm. of these 
almost diametrically opposed like uh, uh, systems, Format? like formats. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's a re- they're real strange bedfellows. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. But I don't, Agreed. I don't dislike it. Yeah. Oh, I don't either. Mm-hmm. I I still like this format of we're going to release it on home streaming and in the theater. Cool. This right. is one I want to go see in a theater. Yep. Um, yeah. Chet Merrick Merrick had this great idea where she's like, if theaters really want to make money, you just take every movie that should really be seen on a big screen and just play it. I don't care if it's ten years old. Go put <clears throat> two thousand one A Space Odyssey up on the big screen yeah. in you know Cinemark and or Regal, and people will just show up. Oh my that- gosh. That happened no. in um, that happened I think in the UK because the UK had like that month long stretch where they had locked down so well that they loosened and they probably loosened too much because then people got crazy. But like mm-hmm. the, a theater chain in the UK, that's what they did. They're like, we're picking. They ran a survey, like, what do you want to see? An Empire Strikes Back one. So for <laughs> the first time in like thirty years, Empire Strikes Back was the number one movie at the box office globally. Yeah, yeah. No, there are movies. I'm like, you know what? Either I haven't seen it in a long time, or I never got to see it on the big screen. Yeah, I went to see 2001 in the theater a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. We have uh, we have a really good friend who's uh, big into movies. Uh, uh, Let's see here. He um, he he does his own little reviews and stuff uh, for a friend of ours named Ben, and he was so excited because he got to see uh, the first Mission Impossible in theaters uh, for the first time this last weekend. Right. It was, it was playing again, uh, I think a Cinemark or something. Um, but yeah, the, Merck's absolutely correct. Like bring back other movies. We, we want the nostalgia and missed out on seeing it in theaters because we were too young or whatever. Like, man, if I got the opportunity to see like Big Trouble in Little China uh, on the, the big cool. screen, I would, I would take that opportunity. That, that was one that I got. I saw first run yeah. on the big screen. Cool. <laughs> yeah, with my yeah. dad. It's why it holds a special place in my memory. My uh, my membership at the Hollywood Theater has been expired for a number of years now, and I think I'm going to renew it soon. Cool. I'm totally going to. Yeah, mine for sure. (laughs) Well, this seems like a good spot to wrap up the show. Indeed. Mm -hmm. Next week, I don't know what we're doing, but we're doing a show. (laughs) <laughs> and I feel like we should do you're, something You're going to be talking about the Bad Batch Next week we're going to talk about the Bad right. Batch uh, We could just spend a lot of time talking about the Bad Batch <laughs> Sounds good Well with that being I've seen breakdown yes. <laughs> Well with that being the case then I'm Aaron Duran I'm Bean Rita And I'm Cable Hashitani And we will talk to everybody next week Bye